This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I hope you are well. I am Brent Nelson. And today, I just wanted to give you a a quick update uh, on the SECURE Act proposed regulations. So just a short one for you today. Sorry, we don't have a sort of longer uh, podcast this week, but we will in in weeks to come here. So just a quick update here because I've been getting some questions and there's been some movement on the SECURE Act. So at the end of February of this year, the Department of Treasury issued proposed regulations under the SECURE Act. You remember the SECURE Act was a bill that was passed that made some substantial changes really to uh, retirement accounts such as IRAs and 401ks and particularly to the rules related to how they are paid out at death the so-called required minimum distribution rules at death. And in the proposed regs were, and the proposed regs really were a rewrite of existing regulations. And the proposed regulations had some provisions in them that relate to trusts, very specific provisions relating to trusts and some clarification, not only about trusts, but also about required minimum distributions. So if you sort of take a step back, maybe a couple of years when the SECURE Act first came out and we were coming through the act, trying to figure out what exactly it said, what it means for trust, because sometimes we're naming trusts as beneficiaries of IRAs and 401ks. Um, and it appeared at the time that the way that the SECURE Act was, was written, that if a trust was the beneficiary of an IRA and the owner died after the age of 72, but before the age of 81, and the trust was deemed to have no, quote, designated beneficiaries, and that could happen by just naming like a, a non-individual as a beneficiary, like a charity uh, within the trust, that you would actually get a payout or you could stretch out the payments from the IRA for more than 10 years. In fact, a 72-year-old, for example, has an 18-year life expectancy. And the rule is that you would have to make distributions over the life expectancy of the owner, the remaining life expectancy of the owner of the account. So if the beneficiary was a trust, and the trust named non-individuals as beneficiaries, then what would happen is you would look through the trust, you would see the non-individual beneficiary, you would say, aha, that means there's no designated beneficiary on this IRA. And if the owner had died after the age of 72, then you have to take the money out of the account until it's drained down to zero over the IRS's deemed remaining life expectancy of the owner of the account, which again, if they had been age 72 when they died, the remaining life expectancy would have been 18 years. Okay. So we thought, all right, well, maybe that's an opportunity. Maybe that's a way that we can sort of stretch out distributions from IRAs uh, beyond 10 years, which was the new rule that was added into uh, the Internal Revenue Code by the SECURE Act. And we had actually sat down and run through the numbers to figure out, well, is that even worth it if you make certain assumptions? And if you assumed that when somebody took money out of the account, they invested the net proceeds after paying taxes, made some assumptions about the tax rates. It did appear, based on the numbers, that you were better off stretching out the account than uh, relying on this 10-year rule. 
in addition to that, most people thought that what the 10-year rule meant was that you could wait if, if it did apply. So assuming there was a designated beneficiary or a trust was named as beneficiary and all of the beneficiaries of the trust were people, not a non-individual, that this 10-year rule would apply. And what you could do is wait until the end of the 10th year after the year of death and then take out all the money. Okay, so the proposed regulations make it clear that uh, our reading was wrong on both on both parts, which of course the IRS is is uh, certainly free to interpret the their Internal Revenue Code as they as they see fit and reasonable. So their their interpretation, which I think is a reasonable one, anyways, is that the regular required minimum distribution rules apply. So for example, if you did have no designated beneficiary, the person and the owner died after seventy two or age 72, then you'd have to take money out every year over that person's remaining life expectancy. That rule would still apply, except that at the end of the 10th year of doing so, that's when you have to take all the money out. So the 10-year rule becomes a backstop. Well, what it means is that this idea of being able to fit within this little exception that appeared to be in the SECURE Act um, that we thought might apply is not going to apply. So this 10-year rule is going to apply basically no matter what with one big exception. Okay, so the big exception is if the IRA names a beneficiary who's an eligible designated beneficiary, then they that eligible designated beneficiary can use their own life expectancy to take required distributions out of the trust or, or out of the uh, IRA, excuse me. And as a reminder, an eligible designated beneficiary is a spouse, somebody not more than 10 years younger than the account owner, uh, a minor child, which the proposed regulations tell us is somebody under the age of 21, uh, somebody who is disabled, and somebody who has a chronic illness. So if you fit within those categories, you're an eligible designated beneficiary, and you take out the money over your life expectancy. Okay. Then the proposed regulations include a couple of additional terms that have to do with trust that are actually quite handy. So first of all, they make it clear that... Um, when you're trying to sort out who are the beneficiaries of the account so that you can determine, are there any eligible designated beneficiaries? What is the life expectancy of the beneficiaries, if, if there are any or not? Are there any non-individuals named in the trust? That you, you peer through the trust. It's a so-called look-through trust. And then you, and you look at the terms of the trust and you make two determinations. And you make this determination on September 30 of the year after the IRS owner or the IRA owner's date of death, okay? The first termination is, or determination is, what are the terms of the trust, okay? And because certain types of trusts are treated different ways, and I'll get back to that in just a second, and then you determine who are the underlying beneficiaries of the trust, and when you're trying to sort out who all counts uh, as beneficiaries of the trust, you have these interrelated rules, okay? So there are basically three categories of trusts. What's called a conduit trust in the proposed regulations, which, are, which is a trust that says the trustee will take money out of the IRA and then distribute it straight out to one or more beneficiaries. If that's the case, you only look at the beneficiaries who are going to receive the money from the trust, and those are the deemed beneficiaries of the IRA, okay? That's a conduit trust. An accumulation trust is a trust where the, the trustee can take money out of the IRA and it can hold the money. And in that case, you count up the current beneficiaries plus anybody who would be a beneficiary if the current first line of beneficiaries were gone. But you don't have to go anywhere beyond that. And it used to be the case, in fact, there were some rulings from the IRS that you did have to go beyond that. So it, it sort of caps the class of potential beneficiaries that you have to look at in the trust. Then 
The third kind of trust is what's called a multiple beneficiary trust or an applicable multiple beneficiary trust. And of, of those, there are two varieties, okay? And these apply if one of the beneficiaries in the trust is an eligible designated beneficiary because of disability or a chronic illness, okay? Disability or chronic illness, then you can have one of these multiple beneficiary trusts. And here's how they work. There's a type one trust. The type one trust says that when the account owner dies, the trust splits into small trusts, one for each beneficiary. And in that case, you can look at each individual small trust to determine who the beneficiaries of the trust are, okay? So if one of those trusts has as a beneficiary an eligible designated beneficiary who is disabled, for example, that single individual's uh, trust will be looked at to determine if there was an eligible designated beneficiary for that trust. That's handy because the old rule was that you would have had to have included everybody, okay? The second type of multiple beneficiary trust, a type two trust, is a trust where uh, there is an eligible designated beneficiary who is that because of disability or chronic illness, and there are other beneficiaries, but you only have to look at the eligible designated beneficiary in order to determine the required minimum distributions payable to the trust after the owner's death. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that you get to stretch out the payments over the life expectancy of that eligible designated beneficiary. And that's helpful because you're going to be able to stretch it out potentially over more than 10 years. Okay, the next thing that the proposed regulations say, once you've determined what kind of trust do I have, and then based on the type of trust, what types of beneficiaries do we have to sort out, then you look at if you do have an eligible designated beneficiary in one of these multiple beneficiary trusts, you look at that eligible designated beneficiary to determine distributions depending on if it's type one or type two. But if it's a type one and there are trusts for non-eligible designated beneficiaries, those trusts are then going to be subject to this special 10-year rule. Okay. And the regulations or the proposed regulations say that you can actually change who the beneficiaries are of the trust between the date of death and September 30. And the IRS will only look at who is a beneficiary of the trust on September 30 to make this determination. So if you had a, uh, you know, if you had a trust that had a non-individual as a beneficiary, you could sort of get rid of the non-individual, maybe pay them out early so that you don't have to be bothered with having a non-individual and potentially having to pay out money to this non-individual quickly. Uh, but you get to do that by September 30th. And the, the, the regulations just sort of clarify that process. And the second thing that they do is they say that in, in the case of a conduit trust, the Conduit trust is it is a trust that says money is going to be withdrawn from the account and then distributed to a beneficiary. And you're only going to look at that that person when you're determining required minimum distributions for uh, the trust. But it says that it's it's a distribution that could be made to or for the benefit of the beneficiary. And that's actually a quite large change because the regulations did not used to say distributions for the benefit of, meaning it doesn't have to go directly to the person into their hands. So if you had a beneficiary who maybe is a bit of a spendthrift, you might be able to make the payments directly to their landlord or to their doctor or to some other service provider instead of distributing the funds directly into their hands where the money might be wasted or it might be spent on harmful substances or something like that. So the, the regulations allow for distributions for the benefit of a beneficiary and still qualifying as a conduit type trust. Okay. And, and again, just to refresh, all of this or, or all of these rules are really getting at when you look through the trust 
after the owner of the account dies, how do you know how quickly the trust has to withdraw the money from the account under the required minimum distribution rules? Is it gonna be subject to the 10-year rule? Do you get to use somebody's life expectancy? There's also a third option, and this has to do with um, you have no eligible designated beneficiary, you have no designated beneficiary at all because you've named a non-individual. So maybe a non-individual is a beneficiary in the trust, um, and the, and they are uh, that non-individual is a beneficiary of the trust on September 30 of the year after the year of death. So you've sort of hit the witching hour and, and you're stuck. If the owner of the account died before age 72 or before retirement, if you're talking about uh, a 401k, because there's a non-individual named as the beneficiary, they're deemed to have not have named a designated beneficiary, and therefore what's called the five-year rule can apply. And the five-year rule says that all the money has to be drained out of the account by the end of the fifth year after the date of death. But that is a the five-year rule has always functioned as a pure, uh, a, a real five-year rule. So at the end of the fifth year, then you have to take everything out. But in the interim, you're not necessarily required to take the money out. And it doesn't appear to me that the regulations change that. Um, so I think that's still going to be the case, but, uh, you know, maybe in the final regulations we'll, we'll find, we'll find out differently. Um, so what happens with the proposed regulations is they're open for public comment. I'm sure they're going to get, the IRS is going to get plenty or the, the treasury department is going to get plenty of comments on these proposed regulations. They go through all the comments. They typically respond to the comments in some way, and they can make changes. So the final regulations can have different terms in them than the proposed regulations, oftentimes based on the comments or based on the IRS's own differed view once they've, you know, kind of thought through um, what's happening and, and what they've already proposed, and that it may have a different they may have a different view on it by the time they issue final regulations than they did when they issued the proposed regulations. So nothing is final, final, but it does appear that um, these changes are going to happen and they're going to look pretty similar, I think, to the proposed regulations. I think overall, even though there are some ambiguities in in the regulations, I think overall what I'm hearing from practitioners and what I thought when I first saw the regulations is that they're actually quite well done um, and, and they are helpful. And so uh, that is good to see because sometimes regulations come out uh, and we just scratch our heads about where these things are coming from and why they're written the way they are. At least here, you can see the logic and you can see that what the Treasury Department was trying to do is, is conform, for lack of a better word, the existing regulations into terms and conventions that are actually the common terms and conventions in practice, even though those weren't the terms and conventions that were used in the original regulations. So things like terms like conduit trust and accumulation trust, those were things that practitioners used conventionally and in practice to sort of describe different types of trusts that appeared to be described in the existing regulations, but the existing regulations didn't use those terms. So now they've adopted the, the sort of broader popular terms in the proposed regulations. And I think all of that is helpful because it actually frames the, the regulations in a way that's frankly more accurate to reality or more accurate, more accurate to the way that reality has sort of played out um, under those original regulations. So Hopefully that's helpful. It's just a, that's a really quick uh, recap. The proposed regulations are over 200 pages long, so obviously I haven't covered every single thing, uh, and that's just a brief overview of the the rules related to trust. But hopefully that's helpful for anybody who was wondering what the heck is happening uh, and what is different, if anything. 
but as a quick little reminder, we've talked about on the podcast and on the blog, potentially doing what we were calling a secure stretch trust, being able to stretch it out under these rules that would have allowed you to use the account owner's remaining life expectancy. So that is off the table under the proposed regulations. So we're not going to be able to do that. There may be other ways to stretch out the payments from the IRA beyond the life expectancy or the 10-year rule. Um, But that I will save for another day, and maybe we'll talk on a future uh, episode about those sorts of planning ideas. So with that, I'll leave it there. Thank you again so much for joining me. Hey, listeners, thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com and follow me on social media at wealthandlaw. I'll see you there.